In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dearly beloved, Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the last chapter of Mark, our Lord promises, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And the Apostle Peter has written, Baptism now saves you. The Word of God also teaches that we are all conceived and born sinful and are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us as his own. We would be lost forever unless delivered from sin, death, and everlasting condemnation. But the Father of all mercy and grace has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who atoned for the sin of the whole world, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As is the custom of the Lutheran Church, we do baptize infants. And because infants are unable to answer the questions for themselves, this following question I address to her parents. How are you named? Sage Leona Van Ort. Sage Leona Van Ort, receive the sign of the Holy Cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. Yet according to your great mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls in all. You drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, yet led your people Israel through the water on dry ground, foreshadowing this washing of your holy baptism. Through the baptism in the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. We pray that you would behold sage according to your boundless mercy and bless her with true faith by the Holy Spirit, that through this saving flood, all sin in her which has been inherited from Adam and which she herself has committed since would be drowned and die. Grant that she be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church being separated from the multitude of unbelievers and serving your name at all times with a fervent spirit and a joyful hope, so that with all believers in your promise, she would be declared worthy of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. From ancient times, the church has observed the custom of appointing sponsors for baptismal candidates and catechumens. In the Evangelical Lutheran Church, sponsors are to confess the faith expressed in the Apostles' Creed and taught in the small catechism. They are, whenever possible, to witness the baptism of those they sponsor. They are to pray for them, support them in their ongoing instruction and nurture in the Christian faith, and encourage them toward the faithful reception of the Lord's Supper. They are at all times to be examples to them of the holy life of faith in Christ and love for the neighbor. I now address Sage's sponsors. Is it your intention to serve SAGE as sponsors in the Christian faith? God enable you both to will and to do this faithful and loving work, and with his grace fulfill what we are unable to do. Amen. Hear the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. They brought young children to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father, who art in heaven, how will it be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord preserve your coming in and your going out from this time forth, and even forevermore. Amen. As I said earlier, since we baptize infants, we ask questions of her parents, her sponsors, and now I invite her congregation to join in the following responses. Sage Leona Van Ort, do you renounce the devil? Yes, I renounce him. Do you renounce all his works? Yes, I renounce them. Do you renounce all his ways? Yes, I renounce them. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead? Yes, I believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? Yes, I believe. Sage, do you desire to be baptized? Yes, I do. Sage Leona Van Ort, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you the new birth of the water, and of the Spirit, and has forgiven you all your sins, strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. Amen. Receive this burning light to show that you have received Christ, who is the light of the world. Live always in the light of Christ and be ever watchful for his coming, that you may meet him with joy and enter with him into the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which will have no end. In holy baptism, God the Father has made you a member of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and an heir with us of all the treasures of heaven in the one holy Christian and apostolic church. We receive you in Jesus' name as our sister in Christ, 
that together we might hear his word, receive his gifts, and proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. Almighty and most merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you graciously preserve and enlarge your family and have granted Sage the new birth and holy baptism and made her a member of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and an heir of your heavenly kingdom. We humbly implore you that as she has now become your child, you would keep her in her baptismal grace, that according to your good pleasure she may faithfully grow to lead a godly life to the praise and honor of your holy name, and finally, with all your saints, obtain the promised inheritance in heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen. Our Old Testament reading for today comes to us from the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Jonah, after he had tried to run away from the Lord, the Lord brought him back via a fish. He ends up in the city of Nineveh because the Lord has commanded him to preach to them, and he does. And they, and they repent and turn from their wickedness. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 7. This portion of 1 Corinthians is sometimes a little difficult to parse. It sounds like uh, St. Paul is advocating that people not get married. But in fact, what he is saying is that we have so many things in our lives that distract us from the Lord that regardless of whatever, whether we're married or unmarried and whatever between, we should keep our focus on the Lord and what he's doing because the time is short and that he will return and make all things new. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion 
to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise as we hear from the gospel. Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Jesus continues his calling of his disciples, even calling those who were once fishing for fish to go and fish for men. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to each and every one of you through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The fish gets all the glory, doesn't it? I imagine when you first heard me say what our Old Testament reading for today, the first thing that popped into your head when I said the word Jonah is, well, that's the guy who got eaten by a fish. That's what Jonah's best known for, isn't it? It's because that's the easy part of Jonah's story. It's the easy part of Jonah's life to remember. It's remarkable. And we oftentimes take the, uh, the account of Jonah as sort of a cautionary understanding that if you try to run away from the Lord, he'll still get you. And that's true. But I imagine if you knew more of the details about what Jonah was going through, you might be tempted to join him trying to get away from the Lord. You see, God had told Jonah, he said, Go to Nineveh and tell them the law. Tell them that they've done wrong. Tell them that they're sinners. That seems uh, pretty standard for God, doesn't it? God, God does that. He, he calls his prophets. He says, go to these places and preach my word. What's the big deal? Well, the thing was, Nineveh was the capital of a ruthless and violent society. Nineveh was a place where they did things to people who tried to preach foreign gods that I dare not mention because there's little children in the room. Let that sink in just for a moment. That God had told Jonah, not just go and preach his word, but go to this place where they're probably going to kill you if you do it. And you might start to sympathize with Jonah a little bit. You understand why he hopped on a boat to leave. You understand why he jumped in the ocean. And yet God brought him back. 
And sure enough, Jonah went into Nineveh, seemingly ready to face retribution from them because he gives this awe-inspiring sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How well would that go over? If I came in here and that was the sermon I delivered and walked out the door. But, because it's the word of God, it had power. And the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You know, the desire to run from God's word, I think, is universal. We kind of look at Jonah and see him and say, yeah, that's the foolish guy who tried to run from God's word. But I think a lot more of Jonah is in each one of us than we care to admit. We may not be called to be a missionary to a hostile city. I'm not asking you to go to Syria and preach Christ. I'm not asking you to go to Iraq and tell them they're sinners. But following the word of God leads to uncomfortable places. And usually that means, well, you know, people might not think the best of us because we believe in Christ, but actually the Bible calls us towards counter-cultural beliefs. For instance, this Sunday is a Sunday that we celebrate the sanctity of human life. That means that we believe that God created life and that all life, whether it's unborn or whether it's aged, is valuable. And all life is exactly that, life. And so to take a life, no matter the age, whether it is unborn, whether that person is unborn or elderly, is wrong. That's a countercultural claim. Or the claim that marriage is between a man and a woman. Or the claim that sexual relations should be reserved for marriage alone. The fact that we as Christians believe that there is an objective right and wrong puts us in uncomfortable positions. Because how many conversations do we have where somebody is doing something that we don't agree with, but we say, well, I can't say it's wrong. Well, if the Bible says it is, it is. But it also leads us into some other uncomfortable realities. As we think about ourselves. Not just those people out there, but what's going on in my own heart. As the Bible calls us and says, forgive. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew about an unforgiving servant who had been forgiven a huge debt and yet still held a smaller debt and grasped his friend and wouldn't let it go. That's uncomfortable to forgive when we don't think someone deserves it, but the Bible calls us to do so. Or controlling our tongue. Our tongue seems to have a mind of its own as it cuts other people down, as it tells tales that maybe aren't true, but they feel good to tell others. Or the Bible calls us to be satisfied with what we've been given. Because in our culture, for ourselves, it's so much better to look out there and see, well, Things could be better for me. You see, the word of God as we follow it 
leads us into uncomfortable places. So that leads us to ask, well, why follow it at all? Because, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's the only place where true deliverance is found. You know, I, I kind of made fun of Jonah's sermon there. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But I, I, I take great comfort in that sermon. Because even though as a professional preacher I find that sermon rather lacking, it's effective. I know that even when one of my sermons is a stinker, it's still the word of God. And God's word still works. Because the word of God changed the hearts of those in Nineveh and the word of God changes my heart too. And the word of God changes your heart as well. It enters our lives and it delivers to us the grace of Christ. When the people of Nineveh heard of their sin, they believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And we hear our sin, we hear of where we are wrong, and we feel dejected. We can either stand up in God's face and say, well, I know better than you do, or we can look down and say, you're right, I'm a sinner, and I do not deserve your love. And God reaches into our mourning, our grieving, our sadness and our brokenness, and he puts us back together. Because he takes all of that grieving, all of that mourning, all of that sin, all of those mistakes, all of the wrong and all of the past, and he places that entirety on the shoulders of his son, Jesus Christ, as he dies on the cross for me and you. And God can look at us and say, but you're perfect. Because I have made you perfect. I have saved you. I have forgiven you. Because if you see what Jonah is doing as he tells them that they're going to be overthrown, he's saying, you have no future. You're going to be condemned. And without God, we have no future. Without Christ, we have only condemnation. But in Christ, we have a hope, not just of a little bit of a future, but an eternity with him. Yes, we hear God's word so that we can do better, but that's not the most important part. We hear God's word so that our sin, our mistakes, our past is relieved of us. And our future is assured. That just as Christ rose from the dead on, in that tomb, we also will rise from the tomb. We have the salvation of Christ that brings us the forgiveness of mistakes and sins. And we have a hope of an everlasting life in him. That's why we hear God's word and receive it gladly. Because we know in him, salvation is assured and our future is always in front of us. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.